We are in uh, 1 Kings, the 12th chapter. Uh, welcome to our weekly Bible study where we go through books of the Bible, one verse at a time. Uh, we're in the Old Testament right now, jumping around. Um, we don't always do every verse at a time in the Old Testament because lots of it is incomprehensibly boring. You know, like counting how many people there are in a tribe here, there, and the other. We just don't really care for our deals. So we're kind of skipping over just the general stuff, but trying to go to things that are very more specific that we can connect to and relate to, learn from. We've just finished the story of Solomon. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, blessed beyond comprehension. The amount of financial prosperity and stuff that this guy was experiencing was measured annually in tons of gold. You know, you're doing pretty good when you get paid in tons of gold. I think you're getting... You're pretty good to get paid in tons of anything, to be honest with you. <laughs> when it's tons of gold, you're really rocking, you know what I'm saying? So uh, doing really well. His heart started uh, falling away from God because he had a problem with the ladies. Uh, he wound up with 700, what was it, 700 wives or 300 wives? 700 wives and 300 concubines. Apparently, the 700 wives didn't quite make it for him. So... <laughs> I think so, 300 concubines kind of fill in the gaps. A thousand women this man had, and a lot of them apparently were of foreign birth and uh, marrying these gorgeous women from other tribes and stuff that were not uh, believers in Jehovah God, and it got him in trouble. It pulled his heart away from God. Uh, finally, God sends a prophet uh, to uh, Jeroboam and prophesies to Jeroboam that... Uh, uh, God is going to take away the kingdom from Solomon and uh, split the kingdom and leave a little piece or leave a piece of it with his one of his uh, descendants but he's going to give the rest all of Israel to Jeroboam but he was going to wait until Solomon died out of respect for his father David so we pick it up in uh, chapter 12 verse 1 Solomon's just died now Rehoboam we got Jeroboam and Rehoboam uh, went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. Now, when Jeroboam, don't get missed with these Jeroboams or Rehoboams, I wish they had a little bit more different names, but Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this. He was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. Why had he run? Run because uh, Solomon had heard that the prophet had prophesied that the kingdom was going to come to you, so let me kill you so that doesn't happen. Anyway, these people are killing people every other day. So anyway, so they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam <laughs> and said this, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So uh, you have to remember that uh, David had come, and he had united the Israeli nation. You pretty much had Israel, general Israel, was made up of ten tribes, uh, then you had Judah, uh, and then Benjamin, which was almost just a, a side note. Half the time, they don't even mention Benjamin, but it was primarily Judah. Those two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were the southern part of the Jewish nation. They were you know, kind of like this north and the south civil war kind of thing going on. David comes, and he re unites the nation. Uh, Solomon also keeps them united. But now um, uh, these guys from Israel come to Rehoboam, who had gotten the kingdom from Solomon. 
So Jeroboam and those guys come to him and said, you know, could you cut us some slack? Because your dad really was kind of beating the snot out of us in terms of, you know, taxes and forced labor and requirements and da-da-da. Look, if you could lighten up a little bit on us, we will serve you, okay? And we will keep the kingdom united. Well, Rehoboam says, well, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he said. Well, they replied, these are the elders, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them by giving them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. So even in a, in a situation of a king, the elders were advising him, look, serve the people. Serve the people, because, you know, and I'm sure that at some point that kind of irritated his ego because kings don't like to serve anybody. They want to be served. Uh, but it's, it's a wise thing to do. Cut them some slack. You know, be there for them. They will serve you. Life will be good. These are what the older people uh, told him to do. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and gave himself and consulted uh, young men who had grown up with him and who were serving him. So he blew off the old dudes and asked his buddies, basically, the guys he grew up with, the younger guys. And so what do you guys think we should do? And, uh, you know, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Well, the young men who'd grown up with him replied as ignoramuses, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my finger is thicker than, your fa than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. You, my father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Now, you know, clearly these boys, too much testosterone. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what their problem was, what they were thinking, but they thought, you know, young guys. And, and, and if there is a sign oftentimes of uh, people uh, who are young, and put it into responsibility is they generally don't handle it very well. It's very frustrating. I know myself as a young man growing up in the church and coming through the ranks in the church, always was a bit frustrated that I didn't get some, you know, clearly I'm brilliant. Brilliant, I'm simply brilliant. Why don't you give me power? Because I am a brilliant man and I can use this power, you know. Well, they knew, you know, the problem with giving it too much power to young guys is we tend to overdo it. It's one thing I'm constantly saying to our younger guys on staff. Lead people. Lead people. All of you who are in any area of leadership in the church. Of course, a lot of those who are are often areas leading the church. Hopefully they listen to this tape later, but something I need to talk to them from time to time. Leadership is not about saying, I'm in charge. Somebody say amen. Le leadership is like, well, that's, I'm, I'm in charge of this department. It's my final decision. Drop dead is not exactly effective leadership. Certainly not in a Christian model, but the truth is it's a bad model in any business. You don't just go around bossing people around and say, well, I'm in charge, you know, I get kiss off, all right? Doesn't really cause people to become compassionately involved in wanting to help you succeed in life, okay? But particularly in the church, just don't just flex your muscles, well, I'm in charge, that's the way it is. And this is a problem that we see often pops its head up 
Uh, younger people tend to that because that's, they, they pop in that direction. It's a temptation oftentimes people, and it doesn't even have to be with age, it just has to do with being with maturity. Oftentimes you can see it. You'll give somebody authority in the church in a department or something, and it takes almost no time before they're hammering people over the head. You know, by the way, you see that happening? Don't get into a fight with them. Come talk to me, okay? And I will deal with it best that I can. I have tried to communicate and will continue to communicate that we are here to serve you. We aren't just around here to just boss people around. Now, sometimes I will say something in the church, and well, let's do it this way. Uh, and I've even challenged my staff. You know, well, if you find a lot of people have a problem with it, don't hammer them. Come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I don't think that was a good idea because everybody hates me now. You know, and I will adjust, okay? You, you know what I'm saying? You just don't boss people around. I don't think you've ever heard me say, I'm in charge, get over it. You know, I just don't talk in those terms. You know, I'm, you just got to do what I got to do, and I'm the pastor, and y'all go die, go help you listen to me. Not exactly effective leadership, in my opinion. Some people like to talk in those terms. I don't. It's about servant leadership, okay? Anyway, these young guys, testosterone ablazing, said, just show me you're tough, man. Just show me you're, I'm going to squish you like a bug. Think my old man was a pain. Wait till you get a hold of me. All right, so three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to them by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. Again, what delusional state these guys were in, thinking this was effective leadership, is beyond me, but they thought, just be tough. The tougher you are, the more... Oh, people will fear you, and, you know, anyway. So the king did not listen to the people for his, this turn of events. was from the Lord. Actually, this is, they, they did, he did the stupid thing because God wanted him to do the stupid thing because God was getting ready to tear the kingdom from him, really because of Solomon's sins. It's all kind of odd as following this. You'll see that all kinds of, as we're about to go through kings, you will even find one prophecy that gets fulfilled that was spoken 500 years later, earlier. It's quite fascinating. You know, when God says something, it doesn't always happen right away. You know what I'm saying? It just, you know, boom. It just, chill out, relax. It takes time sometimes. God's on a different clock than we are. So anyway, this was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord. It's spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. Anyway, this is when he spoke to Jeroboam and said, I'm going to give you the kingdom. So anyway, all this happened. Well, now, when Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? Jesse was, was David's dad. Obviously, everybody was in the, where you came from and family and stuff. So, you know, I was like, ah, what do we got to do with this? To your tents, O Israel, which is the Old Testament way of saying, we're out of here. See you later. Sayonara. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Anyway, King Rehoboam sent out Adorai, whatever, who was in charge of forced labor, but all the Israelites stoned him to death. <laughs> this is when you can tell people don't like you. <laughs> when they stone you to death, you're not doing well with them. So he sends out someone, all right, go out there and make these Israelites do stuff, and they stone him to death, and uh, things are not going well for, for Rehoboam. So uh, anyway, he says, so Israel, wait, 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 the king of Boham, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem because they're going to come after him next. 
So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Well, not to this day, but to the day this was all written. All right. Now, when all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. Actually, it's always Judah and Benjamin was such a tiny tribe. Those two for somehow were joined together at the hip, as we'll see in a second here. But oftentimes we'll just refer to Judah. So if you got the 10 tribes and Judah, you're missing a tribe, it always seems like, because there's the 12 tribes of Israel. But it was little Benjamin. Always always thrown in that same category with Judah. So, verse 21, when Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the whole house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. There they happened to mention him this time. 180,000 fighting men to make war against the house of Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, and he basically prophesied to them, say, don't do it, stop, go home. And they listened to the prophet, they stopped, and they went home. Okay? Well, now, Jeroboam is king of Israel, and you've got Rehoboam, the king of Judah. And pretty much from here on out for a long time in the Bible, you will often read in the Old Testament uh, sometimes referring to Judah and sometimes referring to Israel. That's why this happens. Again, the kingdom is back split again. You got the north and the south uh, going at each other, and, and this was the deal. All right? Now, Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. Uh, it's up in uh, Door County. From there, he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely refer back to the house of David. He said, you know what would happen? If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they're going to again give their allegiance to their lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to the king Rehoboam. So he's basically, I got a worship problem here. I got a worship problem. What am I going to do? You know, I got these people who... Uh, if, if, if we don't come up with some kind of a worship solution here, they're going to go want to go to Israel or to Jude, Jerusalem to worship, but then they'll reconnect with Rehoboam and Judah, and then they'll kill me, and I lose control and stuff. So he basically set up his own worship system. Now, his problem here is instead of doing the right thing and building temples to the Lord or something, places of worship to God, uh, he turned to idols. So after seeking advice, again, verse 28, the king made two golden calves. By the way, you will see this over and 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 over, and over again throughout the Bible. Uh, the king, the one in charge, would seek the advice of elders, and then uh, he made the decision. This also, by the way, not that pastors are kings, God forbid, but uh, even in the New Testament, you'll see in the New Testament church, that's the way they ran the church. Uh, in Jerusalem particularly, James was the leader of the church of Jerusalem. Whenever they had a big decision, all the people would get together. They'd all take his advisors. He'd listen to them. And then James had to make the final call. Uh, that's kind of the model that we follow uh, at this church. Uh, every evangelical church, which is kind of what we are, uh, runs differently. There's pretty much four different models. One is uh, the denomination runs everything, has the final say. Obviously, we're not part of a denomination. Um, secondly is a lot of them, probably the majority of them are congregationally run. In other words, all the people get together and they vote about everything. You can't do anything unless everybody votes. Uh, some people who come to us from other churches after a while start, how come we didn't vote about it? Well, because we don't, we don't do that here. Uh, to me, that's the worst scenario. Then the inmates are running the asylum, and it gets all political, and you've got, you talk about, you talk about Israel and Judah, man, going at it. You know, you're just, the church is split down the middle, and it's like, you would think someone would get a clue on that one. Bad plan. 
Um, uh, then you have uh, just elder board-run churches where it's the board who has a final say uh, in everything, um, and they have all kinds of parliamentary rules to figure out how they get to decisions and stuff like that. And then you have pastor-run churches where at the end of the day it all lays at the pastor. He has a board that advise him, but it, and it's his final say. That's what we do. Again, uh, certainly nothing I try to abuse or run around and say, oh, I'm in charge, y'all can drop dead, is, is a dumb way to lead. You've got to be able to lead people and inspire people to follow you. It's not about power and authority. But anyway, this is what it is. So he gets his advice, and then he makes his decision. He comes up with his idea, well, let's, let's go back to the cow deal. And he makes two golden calves. Now, I don't know what problem these people had with cows, that they felt compelled to keep worshiping cows. Being from the state of Wisconsin, I don't think that would be our choice. We might like cows, but not terribly impressed with their intelligentsia. You know what I'm saying? For some reason, they had this problem. That's why, remember the children of Israel came out, you know, and Moses went up into the thing, and he comes down, and they're worshiping what? A cow. I mean, good heavens, you know, at least make it something cool. You know, like a wolf or something, you know, but there's a cow. So then he goes back to the cow thing, and he gets two cows this time, and he says, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. You know, it's really a hassle. So here are your gods, O Israel. And he gets them all kind of worshiping cows again. And they get all in this thing, and they offer sacrifices, and they're all these things. So basically, he gets in trouble with God because you don't do that. God was very clear. You don't worship other things than me, particularly cows. That's got to be very insulting to God. Can you imagine? God, and instead of worshiping you, they turned to a cow. That's what they were doing. Well, in chapter 13, the word of the Lord come, uh, the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, a man of God, can't read, came from Judah. It doesn't say his name. We've got a couple of prophets here that doesn't mention their names at all. I don't know why. It's kind of odd. Uh, but uh, they don't mention their names. Um, so anyway, this prophet comes. And uh, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. So Jeroboam is there, and he's making an offer to the cows. And he's worshiping cows. And the prophet comes out, and he cries against the altar by the word of the Lord, and say, Oh, altar, altar! He's prophesying to the altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. Now, just stop and think how specific this prophecy is. This is truly amazing. Oftentimes, we will see prophecies where, you know, a prophet will say something, or we're about to see a, a curse that uh, Joshua had made 500 years earlier that eventually comes true. And we see all these things. And I don't know, I, I think it's like 500 years from now or something. But anyway, it's a while. I don't know what this time frame is. I have to look it up. But. A guy, he, now you're not just saying someday someone is going to do this to you. He specifically calls him by name. I mean, how wild is that? When you can prophesy not only what's going to happen a long time from now, but exactly who the guy is and what his name is going to be. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Again, it's stunning to me that they don't mention who the prophet is. This prophet gets in trouble, by the way. Maybe that's why his name isn't mentioned, because he gets in trouble. But, uh, uh, Truly, truly a, a remarkable prophecy. When God prophesies, man, he doesn't mess around. Well, anyway, that same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. Well, when King Jeroboam heard what this guy said, and how he cried out against his cows, 
he stretched out his hand and said, seize him. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shrivels up. And he can't pull it back. And that's a little freaky. Okay? And then all of a sudden, the altar was split in part. And just as he said, its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God, according to the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, pray for me. <laughs> I, I can't move my hand. Okay, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored as it was before. That's got to be an attention getter right there. You know what I'm saying? Now you would think this king would get a clue and quit insulting God. But these people, I mean, we're, we are about to read a series of kings that take dumb to the next level. The one king was dumber than the other one, and that king was dumber than the one before him. We finally get to kings who are dumber than them all. You know, just doing everything God told them not to do. And uh, truly, truly amazing. Anyway, so the king says, you know, hey, that was, wow. That was impressive. Thanks for praying for the hand, and, you know, you want to grab a burger or something. So... He says, come home with me and get something to eat, and I'll give you a gift. You know, let me, let me be nice to you. But the man of God answered the king, even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Why? Why would God say to him, you go down there, and when you get there, you don't eat or drink anything, and then you come back a different way than you went? I have no idea. It's just that's what God told him to do. Now, there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, again, unnamed, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. I'm sure the word spread pretty fast. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Uh, their father asked, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle the donkey, dude. We are heading up and getting going. So he saddled up, and he mounted it, and he rode out after the man of God, and he found him sitting under an oak tree and said, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. And the man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. And the old prophet answered, I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house, so that you may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God, who heard this guy, said, Listen, I'm a prophet too. An angel showed up, told me what to do. And the guy goes, Oh, okay. Okay, so he goes home and he eats, drinks at the guy's house. And then while they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. Now get the picture here. This guy lies to him, brings him in, and he was a prophet. And while they're eating, all of a sudden, the old man who asked him to come back starts prophesying at him and rebuking him for what he did. He said, he cried out, to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came and ate 
bread and drank water at the place I told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. I'd be going, but you told me. An angel told you that I could come back with you. Well, when the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. And some people who passed by the, saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body. And they went and reported it to the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, this is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. Yeah, because you lied to him. Anyway, people are weird. The Lord has given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his son, saddle up the donkey, as they did so. And he went out and found the body thrown down the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. <laughs> Personally, if a lion's standing beside your body, I move it on. But uh, he goes down, and the, but the lion had not eaten the body or mauled the donkey. The lion was just sitting there, because uh, obviously it was doing what God told it to do. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. And then he laid the body in his own tomb and they mourned over him and he cried after him and saying, Oh, my brother. <laughs> it's his fault. I love, I love it. saying nothing and and bury him he said to his sons when i die bury me in the grave where the man of god is buried lay my bones beside his bones for the message he declared by the word of the lord against the altar of bethel and against the shrines and the high places and the towns will certainly come true all right now let's take a look at this a little bit uh i'm pretty pretty amazing stuff here now the guy comes he lies to the prophet and said, listen, God spoke to me. An angel came and he believed him. What is the lesson here? Don't just believe everybody who says God told them. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, God told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You need to think it through. Well, they're a prophet. If God told him he can't argue. Listen, you got to be careful with what God told me. First of all, don't you go around saying God told you unless God told you. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, I, I kind of felt like God wanted me to. Well, then say that. Okay, you're not Moses for crying out loud. God told me this and God told me that. I love these people. God tells them one thing and five minutes later they're doing something else. Well, God changed his mind. Okay, you know, good grief. Check this out. First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, I think it's the 15th chapter. Delete. Nope, I lied. 14th chapter. 14th chapter, da, 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 verse 29. And we'll obviously go through this again when we get to Corinthians and go through it verse by verse, but just wanted to pop here. He's talking about spiritual gifts and stuff. Now, he says here, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Okay. Now, he's encouraging the gift of prophecy. Let me explain to you for some of you who don't understand what the gift of prophecy is. The gift of prophecy is something like, and it can come in various forms. Sometimes it's almost like, I'm going to tell you, God wants me to say to you specifically, da-da-da-da-da. 
you know, sometimes it'll come that way. Sometimes it'll be an, an impression on their heart. But when they come to you and say, listen, and sometimes you may not even know them. I don't know. It's, I've had people, all kinds of different things where someone say, listen, I, I don't really know you or, or whatever, but God, I really feel God has told me to say this to you. And they will speak something into your life. Um, that's called the gift of prophecy. Oftentimes people will know things about you or whatever or just interesting. Sometimes they won't know anything about you, but yet they'll still say something that will ring true to you because you go, wow, how, how did you even know that, you know? But don't just go running off half-cocked because someone come up and said, the Lord told me to tell you something, okay? Even here, when he's saying, when people get up and prophesy and speak what they feel God is saying to the church, you're supposed to listen to what they say and then weigh it. The King James Version uses a stronger term. It says, let the others judge. Let them judge. What are they judging? They're listening to what the person said, and they're going, I don't know. Does that ring true with you? What do you guys think? You know, just because someone says, God told me, doesn't always mean that it's right. Okay? We need to weigh these things out. Now, we live in a different day. Back here, you can see this prophet made so much as the wrong turn and have the wrong sandwich. A lion shows up and eats him. Hoshimama. That would make one very cautious in prophesying. Well, we don't live in that kind. And you have to remember, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. If God Almighty shows up and speaks to you in an audible voice and tells you to do something, my advice is, don't screw up. Are you hearing me? I mean, you get it to why? To whom much is given? I mean, you get an angel shows up in living color and, you know, in high def. You know what I'm saying? And he starts telling you, do ABC. You better do ABC. But how many of you know most of us have not had that? I would be in that category. Anybody not have that? So most of you have not. You're a bunch of unspiritual people. Okay? Most of you, don't, they don't get that. For us, a lot of it is learning and listening and trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes our emotions affect what we think God is saying. Somebody say amen. All right? We've got all sorts of different influences and stuff in our life. So that when someone speaks and says, I think God is saying this or that. Weigh it. Listen to it. Take bits and pieces. Don't just go running off because, well, God, well, they said do it. Just said, listen. And by the way, when someone prophesies to you, it should really be in the context of God doing other things in your life. Okay? In other words, for example, let's say um, you're watching a documentary on TV and they're doing a documentary on Zimbabwe. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just falls on you, and you just start weeping and crying, and, and your wife thinks you're on drugs. And, you, and, she, and, and she says, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I don't know. I just feel this horrible burden for these people in Zimbabwe. And, and, and uh, you start praying about it, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you start noticing Zimbabwe wherever you are, and all of a sudden, you start feeling, you know, I feel like maybe, maybe God wants me to go to Zimbabwe, you know? And I'm not really sure. And then someone comes up to you and say, listen, I want to share something God told me. He says, I know what you think is coming, something you cannot do, but do not be afraid. Be bold. Step out, even if you have to cross the ocean to do it. And I move on. Well, now, what does that tell you? <laughs> I think I'm going to Zimbabwe. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's even a, part, you know, even a part of it. And then someone comes up to you and says, you know, I, I, I don't, because maybe you got to have $3,000 for the ticket. You don't have $3,000 for the ticket. And somebody comes up to you and goes, dude, I, I don't know what this is, but 
but I feel like I'm supposed to give you a check for $3,000, okay? Hello, are you getting a picture here? Get your butt to Zimbabwe, all right? Now, don't do that, by the way. But anyway, so, so it's all, it's, they're just pieces of the picture. They're pieces of the puzzle. If you don't know nothing about Zimbabwe, you don't even know where it is, you've never thought about nothing, and somebody comes up to you and says, I want you to know, the Lord told me you're supposed to go to Zimbabwe, and walks away, just think, okay? Clearly, the person is a loon bug, all right? Now, all of a sudden, now later, all these things start coming to pass in your life. Sometimes time with God is different. Man, I've heard God people speak stuff into me, made no sense until years and years later. And all of a sudden, I go, oh, my goodness. You know, now you start crying in Zimbabwe, and someone says, here's $3,000, and then you remember, oh, my gosh, you remember that 10 years ago when that guy came up to me and said I should go to Zimbabwe? Wow. You see what I'm saying? But you weigh these things. You measure these things. Don't just go running off loonier in a fruitcake because someone came up to you and prophesied to you. Because that's why I got this guy in trouble. He didn't check with God. Didn't check with anything. God had told him not to do something. And then somebody else said, well, I'll tell him. Tell him God told me you're supposed to do it. Oh, okay. He's a lion sandwich. Okay? He gets himself in trouble. Be smart about these things. Weigh these things out. Just don't just go crazy nutsoid. You know, oftentimes God will, sometimes, sometimes it comes after an event. Sometimes it comes before an event. Sometimes it doesn't come at all. Sometimes you don't have any word, but God speaks clearly by circumstance. You know, I remember telling my wife, you know, as, as we're, we're doing our thing to try and help marriages around the country, uh, you know, man, I, I just, I would love to go on television. I would just love to go on television. But yeah, we don't have the money to go on television. We just don't have, you know, that's an expensive deal. You know, this is years ago for, when we first started doing this. And uh, before we even came to, to uh, Green Bay. But just a startup cost for doing any of these projects is just off the charts. It's crazy. So uh, all of a sudden this guy who I'd met at a meeting that I hated to be at, by the way. I so hated this meeting, I wanted to kill everybody. I was so, I just hated this meeting. It's one of these places where they send you and you get in there and you think, oh, this is horrible. I hate this place and people aren't paying attention and nobody's watching and I'm, I'm fuming on the inside. I'm thinking, I'm going to kill my booking agent when I get out of here. You know, in fact, I was going to kill my booking agent. But, uh, uh, you know, I remember yelling and oh, they're all freaked out. I said, what are you doing? You don't send me to a place where they don't have anything organized and everything. I mean, just everything was wrong. It was the only time I've ever been asked to speak somewhere where I was this close to telling them to kiss off and I wasn't going to go on the stage. It was that bad. It was, and I love being on stage. I love the sound of my own voice. You know what I'm saying? I look forward to the opportunity to speak to people. But I was so, I won't get in all the details, but I was so irritated. I'm not going on stage. I was so mad. And I finally get up on stage and I'm smiling. And I'm doing my thing and I'm done. I'm, I'm taking visions of taking my own life you know I hate this <laughs> and I finally get off the stage and I, and I get out of there okay so I come home so some guy who's at this meeting calls me and says you know can we get together I'd like to, I'd like to do lunch with you uh, you know I live here in Phoenix and you ever come around for you know would you, would you come down and meet with me I don't know I, I, I think I took a special flight didn't I just to go see this guy so I go down and uh, so I'm meeting and I'm sitting with him at lunch and, uh, you know, I was getting ready to get back on my plane. Uh, and not my plane, it was a commercial flight plane. And uh, uh, 
He says, you know, he's talking, so what would you, what would you like to do? Have you ever thought about going on television? Yeah, we, we've thought about going on television and da 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 And, uh, um, you know, so I'm kind of explaining my heart and stuff like that. So anyway, we got done, and he said, well, thanks. And, he, you know, and, uh, I'm glad I got a chance to learn more about what you're doing, and, and I'm getting ready to leave. He says, oh, by the way, I'm, I'll, I'll give you a million dollars to get started on TV. And uh, <laughs> what do you do? Thanks? You know, I mean, well, you know, how do you respond to something like that? And he walks away, and I'm like, and I, and I had to hop on the plane. I didn't even call you. I had to get up on the plane right away. It wasn't until I got to Minneapolis. I got to Minneapolis. I called my wife. She said, what did he say? I said, he wants to give me a million dollars. She said, oh, why would he say that? <laughs> I don't know. He wants to give me a million dollars to go on TV. Oh, I can't believe you'd say that. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it's God's will. You know what I'm saying? When God makes a way and he provides and stuff like that. And, you know, and then if somebody else would have walked up and prophesied, but, you know, the million dollars pretty much sold me. You know, let's go with this. God uses all kinds of ways. To, you know, he, he tries to make things clear. But even though there's always a degree of faith to it. There's always a degree of faith. But oftentimes, you know, the worst thing is just stepping out and you have nothing. There's no basis for what you think you want to do. Uh, God hasn't confirmed it in any way. He hasn't made provisions. No one has spoke to you. And that could slow down. God's a big boy. He wants you to do something. He knows how to make a way for you to do it. And And one of the ways he does it, oftentimes he will use someone speaking into your heart and into your life. It's called prophecy. Okay? But in charismatic church, oftentimes it depends on the church. Some churches just get crazy about this. And as soon as someone prophesies to them, they go all nutsoid crazy and get themselves in all kinds of trouble. Don't do that. Just because someone said, God told me, you weigh it. I promise anybody comes to me and says, God told me, I'm listening. But if I don't just sign off on the contract as you walk away, don't get mad at me. You know, I'm trying to obey the Bible. Let the prophets speak, the Bible says. Let the others judge, the ones in charge. They need to judge. They need to weigh it. They need to, to uh, listen to it. Um, and sometimes God will use it as, as a way of encouragement. You know, a lot of you know, you know, the challenges that we've been going through. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's not the end of the world. Good Lord, I'm hearing some of the craziest stories. <sighs> Last night I was talking to the choir. And just explain what I explained to you on Sunday, you know, that... Uh, we got some tough calls to make and stuff, you know, and churches really only have two major expenses. They have the building and they have people. Nobody likes to let people go. It's always painful. I said, if I could, I'd sell off a piece of the building, you know, but, you know. So I got a call this afternoon at four o'clock. Guy's in a panic. He says, pastor. I said, what? He says, what's going on? I said, what do you mean? He says, I heard last night you said you're selling half the building. Do you hear what you're saying? How much logic is there in that? Half a building for sale. You know, I mean, who would do such a thing? Anyway, just everybody running off one thing or the other. And most people have been fat. There have been a few people that get crazy and upset, you know. And You know what always happens in churches like this? In any church organization, a tiny percentage just go nuts about something. And they get really mad. And then a big group get upset because they're upset. They're not really mad about anything. They're just upset because they're upset. Okay? Well, think that through. Okay? Don't just get mad because someone's upset. Okay? 
Why are they upset? I don't know. I'm sure they got their reasons. They love me. They hate me. Whatever, you know. Uh, but don't be collateral damage. Just every kind of calm down. Walk in peace. Peace, man. Be nice. You know, I got a great encouraging letter before I came up here tonight. It was hilarious. If you were here Sunday, I said, you know, it's not like we can, you know, just tell people to bring their own toilet paper. You know, it's, there's only some places you can cut around here. And they said this thing, and we love you, and we believe in you, and we're continuing to support you. And P.S., I vote for soft toilet paper. You know, so I mean, it was, <laughs> that's fabulous. I mean, very encouraging, you know. Uh, but anyway, do you, do you think God knew any of this was coming? Do you think anybody? Do you think he was shocked? Do you think he all of a sudden went, holy cow, I didn't see that coming. You know, come on. In fact, the morning before the day before all this finally came out, because I was dragging my feet. I really was. I, I hate making these kind of calls, and, but not out of irresponsibility. Some people would say, you know, Pastor, you shouldn't have let it get so bad. But, you know, there's a fine line between faith and stupid. Isn't there? There's a fine line between faith and stupid. Sometimes what you think is faith to everybody else is stupid. Right? But then God shows up, and he does cool things. If you're afraid of stupid, you'll almost never walk in faith. Is that right? Okay, there is a fine line between faith and stupid. I get real close to that line sometimes. And I'm right up to that line, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much on the stupid side by this point. You know, I should have acted early. I get it, okay, but cut me a little slack. You know, it's not like we're going crazy around here. And three people came up to me that morning and prophesied to me. I've never had that in this. I've never had it ever in my life. I've had one person maybe once at a time come up and speak something to me. But three people in a row. Boom. Hour and a half later, boom. Another hour later, boom. Three of them in a row came up to me, and they basically said to me this. This is what God is saying. You need to man up. I put you in charge of this place. You need to make decisions. Basically, quit being a girly man. Kind of translation of mine, but basically that. Man up. Do the right thing. I put you in charge. It's going to be okay. And I'm going, Wow. Three in a row, boom, boom. You know, the Bible says, let every word be confirmed by two or three witnesses. I thought, wow. I wonder what that was all about. A few days later, I figured it out real quick, you know. When it started hitting the fan, I was like, all these horrible things are being said by me. You know, just seriously, relax. But you know what? It got me through because a lot of people say, man, how you doing? I'm doing fabulously. I've been doing fabulously this whole thing. As painful as it is in heart, and you know, I hate to be criticized and people say, you know, horrible things about you. You know, again, some of the very same people who hugged me a week earlier and said, I love you, Pastor, saying some of the meanest things and analyzing my heart and judging me because I'm doing this wrong. It's like, wow, that would crush almost anybody, except for one reason God had spoken to me about 48 hours earlier. Three people who had no idea what they were probably even talking about. Said, I don't know what this is, but I want you, God, just telling me, be a man. I put you here in charge. Do the right thing. Do what you have to do. You know what to do. You got to do it. Three people, boom, 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 who knew nothing, nothing about what was going on. And every time I started feeling, oh, those words came rushing back to me. I went, okay, you know. Yes, Lord. I'm going to man up. Do it. Bring it on. You want to yell at me? Yell at me. But bring it on, you know. 
not everybody agrees. I get it, but I'm going to do what God called me to do. So uh, be careful with the whole prophecy thing. Don't go absolutely nuts on this stuff. Okay, we will pick this up after the first of the year, right? We got to the next two Wednesdays, we're off. Okay, and we will pick this up. And then, then we're going to start going in, and I'm going to show you these kings, one after another, who felt almost inspired to be more wicked than the guy before them. And it got crazier and crazier and crazier. And, and then we're going to wind up uh, to King Ahab. We're going to go some of this stuff kind of fast. Then we're going to get to King Ahab and Jezebel. You ever, you ever hear the phrase, you Jezebel? You know, you wicked. It's a horrible phrase for women. A woman's really nasty. She's a Jezebel. It comes from the story. Because this woman was like psycho crazy. Okay? So we're going to, and then, and then Elijah and Elisha show up. These are two of the most hilarious prophets in the Bible. These guys are a scream. Wait to see what some of these guys do. It is an amazing, inspiring thing as these prophets get in Ahab and Jezebel's face and make their lives miserable as God just starts rebuking the snot out of them. It's quite entertaining. All right, we're done. Ushers, come forward, and the musicians may return. I shall return. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you, God, for your kindnesses. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. Thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned us, that you are very real. And we just need to walk with you and trust you. We thank you, Lord, that you know all things and that all things work together for good to those who love you. We praise you. Lord, you told us that in this world we would have tribulations, that we were to be of good cheer because you have overcome this world. And we praise you for it. Bless these offerings, we pray. Bless your people in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.